A different future starts with you. That's why GoDaddy does more than help you find a name. You can create, sell, and get found online. So any small business could be a driving force to create change or build an empire. We know old ideas aren't cutting it anymore. So we're calling for a new generation of thinking. Your way of thinking. So whatever you have in mind that will help make a different future, find everything you need to get started at GoDaddy.com. Because the future isn't decided yet. It's up to us to make it happen. Start different at GoDaddy.com. If you've recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today. This is an ode to Napa cabbage. Of all the cabbages on all the cabbage farms, only you have the crisp crunch worthy of our Bibigo Korean dumplings. No other cabbage would do, because no other cabbage tastes like you. We love you, Napa Cabbage. Just don't tell Green Onion. Napa Cabbage, one of many obsessively crafted ingredients in every hearty, flavorful Korean dumpling from Bibigo. Go handcrafted. Go Bibigo. Authentic Korean dumplings now in the freezer aisle. This is Podco Media Networks. On episode 127 of Confessions of a Marketer, Marketing Food. Hi, it's Mark Reed Edwards. Welcome back to Confessions of a Marketer. Happy New Year, everyone. It was a great 2019. Let's hope 2020 is even better. Well, we're off to a good start. We've got Jeff Hahn, principal of Apron, an agency focused on marketing and PR in the food business. He's here with us to chat about marketing food and his new book, Breaking Bad News, among other things. We will start that in a moment. Coming soon, Mel Edwards, global CEO of Wonderman Thompson. Joe Auer will expand on our discussion about SEO. And Jocelyn Kopak will be in to talk about building a great brand. Lots more coming up. So as we like to say, stay tuned. COVID-19 patients need your help. If you fully recovered from COVID-19 or unknowingly been exposed to it, you may have the antibodies that could help COVID-19 patients recover. Donate blood and receive testing for COVID-19 antibodies. Visit Vitalant.org today to schedule an appointment to donate blood. That's V-I-T-A-L-A-N-T dot Help save lives and schedule your appointment at Vitalant.org. You could help save lives. All right, on to Jeff Hahn. We're chatting with him because he has a new book out, Breaking Bad News. Love that title. We get to that, though, in the second part of our chat. In this first part, we learn about Jeff's background, the challenges of working in the food business, how companies should handle crises, and a whole lot more. This was a really great discussion, so let's get to it. Jeff, it's great to have you on Confessions of a Marketer. Welcome. Mark, thanks for having me. Great to be here. Can you tell me your background and what your current role is, how you ended up there? Sure. I'm about a 30-year practitioner in the communication space. I'd call myself a PR guy, but that term doesn't give justice to all of the things now that are happening, especially in agencies where public relations, marketing, advertising are all fused together with small agencies. I came up through the corporate world at Lockheed and then Motorola for many years. Now I'm about 15 years into the agency side of the business. So that adds up those two sides. Being in-house first was a real blessing as it turned out. I really benefited from knowing and understanding big companies and big systems 
big processes and also for our clients understanding what they face every day. I feel their pain. <laughs> I was never really in PR. I've done some of it over my career and I've worked with some PR agencies here and there. But early in my career, the PR people were the ones everybody looked up to because they had the connections everywhere. They were also invariably the best writers because they had to write under pressure. A lot of them had journalism experience. And I think that that whole feel, that whole kind of discipline that a PR person learns early in their career is really what marketing is all about now. I couldn't agree more. I think it's the PR discipline and practice has always been personified by hustle and the notion of a Swiss army knife. You need that copy, we can knock it out. You need that speech, sure, I'll do it. PR people have this wiring that allows them to migrate in wide space. They'll take on just about anything and they'll do it quickly under pressure, as you point out, is name of the game. We're responding a lot to the media because a big part of PR used to be media relations. Still is, but I think it's changing quite a bit. Yeah, it's definitely transitioned as the internet has matured. It's changed the role quite a bit. No question about it. Today, PR people have become integral to the notion of newsmaking for a brand. They're almost morphing themselves into reporters, broadcast producers, content creators, etc., away from simply media relations. There are all kinds of different things now that my team exercises its PR chops in. Yeah, brand journalists is the term I've heard. Brand journalism is a, yeah, for those who are familiar with that, it is a thing. We are writing copy, writing articles for our clients, encouraging them to become their own broadcast outlets. Yeah. And I've done a lot of that type of work, feature work and so forth. And it's just like being a journalist. You have a point of view, obviously, but it's very, very much like being a journalist. You're doing a reportage, right? No question about it. I mean, you do storytelling for products, for companies, for executives. You All of those are in your portfolio, right? And the only challenge I think that internal news bureaus have is that, like when you deal with your clients, there's a line that you can't cross. Brands are still not mature enough to tell all of their story. They only want you to tell the good part of the story. But the most authentic ones, those that are really winning in the belief-driven buyer space, are those who make mistakes. Talk about those mistakes. They're frustrated by things. They are even advocates for things in the world that they see should change. You see it with a couple of brands like REI. REI is taking out full-page newspaper ads advocating for the protection of the national parks. Well, that's not something that a brand did 20 years ago. Patagonia is doing something similar, right? Yeah, absolutely. In fact, I'm trying to think if those two didn't join up with that particular campaign. It's interesting to see brands taking social stands, political stands, in a rather electric political atmosphere, too. Absolutely right. And Edelman is really the pathfinder for those of us in the PR industry. Through their trust barometer, we learn that this momentum of the belief-driven buyer 
is gaining more and more traction over time. And it's really this kind of consumer, when you're in the B2C PR business, that you have to pay more and more attention to because they drive the news narrative. Yeah. And it's important to be in the conversation, don't you think? Being silent about something that affects your market, whether you're a company or, you know, a public figure, just doesn't make sense. No question about it. If you want to join into a particular news narrative, you've got to push yourself into that space, uncomfortable as it might be, but relevance requires a little discomfort in these days. Yeah. So being authentic is important. I'd say that's the positive. You're like a PR guy, Mark. You spin it off. Well done. <laughs> I can sling the BS with the best of them. <laughs> but that authentic feel means that we also have to push ourselves into conversations that sometimes, hey, that's not an issue we want to deal with. Sorry. It's something that your consumers really want to talk about. You're in it. Yeah, I know early in my career, I was a speechwriter and I had to have uncomfortable conversations with executive CEOs. And I was, you know, a young guy. I wasn't a kid, but I was pretty young and had to say, no, you've got to deal with this in this speech, whether it was to employees or whether it was, you know, to the public and just pushing. You can't avoid this issue in this speech because people are going to ask you about it anyway. No question about it. And if they're not going to ask you in, private, behind the scenes, get ready for them to ask you in public, in front of a whole auditorium. That's (laughs) even worse if you're not ready to inoculate yourself with your messaging and your idea around a particular issue. This is great. I wasn't anticipating talking about this, but it's a really important issue for marketers, for people in PR, communications, for companies in general. And I think being authentic, telling authentic stories and being truthful about who you are is really important to all marketers. Oh, absolutely right. And that's the currency in today's marketplace. It doesn't really matter the generation. We're inundated with news. And now we choose the news that we believe actually is speaking some negotiated form of reality. I almost said truth, but that's not something that I talk about (laughs) when it comes to news. It's a negotiated form of reality. Is that real to me? And realness twists down into the authenticity word. So I want to talk about the food business, which you have a big practice in. And obviously, there are some unique challenges in that line of business. How do you help companies manage the communications and media aspects of this complex business? Well, if PR itself isn't difficult enough, apply it to the food business and you double your problems. It's the most dynamic business I've ever encountered in the public relations and social media space, the communication space in general. It's also the one that's layered with the most meaning, the most texture to it. I mean, think about the whole process of eating and that the intimacy of that. You're going to put matter, whatever that matter is, into your mouth. And that combined with the meaning that we put around food as a ritual, as nourishment, and we do it multiple times a day, it's really an amazingly complicated space when it comes to the consumer's mind. Consumers allow them because it's such a familiar ritual two or three or more times a day that 
they allow themselves to experiment with different foods. And we see all these trends in all these interesting places that pop up and then fizzle out, and then pop up again in different places and fizzle out. So it's a pretty exciting space. And what we do in our business, it's called Apron Food and Beverage Communication, is really try to help brands synthesize their work into two buckets. Promotion, we're really focused on that digital newsmaking and social media work, but we're also now into paid programmatic for our brands. And that digital newsmaking is complemented in our business by brand protection. And brand protection means rapid response to recalls, withdrawals, safety alerts, what I refer to as bad news breaks. Bad news breaks don't have much to do with the food itself, typically. Actually, typically has to do with the behavior of either employees or consumers in restaurants. And those go viral pretty quickly. So if a company hits a crisis, has a problem, has a recall, something bad happens, right? What are the three or four steps you advise them to take right away? And if I've got some CEOs or CMOs in the food business listening to this, what would you whisper into their ear? Here's what you got to do. Well, five steps really take the entire field of view for me. And these are the five steps. A few of them brands get wrong all the time. It's so frustrating. But <laughs> here they are. Assemble, then hold, then my three M's, message, messenger, and method. And I'll unpack those just a little bit. The key to successfully navigating a bad news break, no matter how quickly it's happening, and the best brands can do this in about two hours, that's world-class execution, are to take these five steps in this sequence. The step that brands get, well, maybe not wrong, but the one they fumble the most is the first one. Just getting the decision makers around a table, the assembly part. You'd be surprised the clients that we visit. And I ask them, okay, if I needed to activate everyone around the conference room, plus your food safety manager, plus your supply chain manager, how quickly would I be able to get in touch with them? Of course, they say, oh, just take a couple of minutes. And they say, no, wait, at 2 a.m. Then you understand why it's so difficult to just get that first step right. But that's the role that a rapid response team plays for a food brand. When you're able to get together and get your decision makers around the table quickly and in decision-making mode, you can execute the other four steps pretty fast. So there has to be a kind of a quick strike team that assembles everyone and puts the issues on the table and makes a decision. That's correct. And I call them rapid response teams. The rapid response teams need to be practiced in that quick decision-making. So I teach them and we take them through workshops and seminars to a variety of tools that allow them to make rapid decisions in a time frame when they don't have all the information. That's the hardest part of responding to brand protection issues, crisis situations, is you're operating in ambiguity. Yeah. The classic rapid response or corporate response is like 1982 when Tylenol had its issue with some kind of poison being put into the cyanide. pills, cyanide. And they, without a template really, right, they responded swiftly and took responsibility for it, even though it was some 
guy going into a drugstore and putting cyanide in the pills. It wasn't really anything that they did. And it's resulted in all these safety caps and seals and all that ever since. But that is kind of the prototype for how to respond to an issue. Well, you're right to point out that Johnson & Johnson was operating in a space that had not really been understood before. So we're going to give them a lot of credit for what they were able to do during that time. But if they operated the way they did then, today, no, right. they'd be destroyed. I'll give you a really quick example. We forget that Tylenol didn't get pulled off of drugstore shelves until CVS and Walgreens pulled them off. J&J did not do a recall. So there are lessons to be learned now in this rapid response environment that, yes, you give Johnson & Johnson credit for helping us understand, oh gosh, this is now a new era of how we have to talk about these kinds of things, but we can't use it as a template today. Right. I mean, like a lot of things that happened nearly 40 years ago, it seemed good at the time. <laughs> good point. <laughs> well said. Like disco and stuff like that. was great. Like me, I was better 40 years ago. I <laughs> Join the club. <laughs> All right, next time, Jeff's back as we chat about his book, Breaking Bad News, as well as the work his agency does to support Habitat for Bees. He's an Iowa farm boy, and the connection to fragile ecosystems is something he's passionate about. That's next time, so stay tuned. Confessions of a Marker is a trademark of Podco Media Networks, and this episode is copyright 2020. I'm Mark Reed Edwards. See you next time.